and turn to chapter 27. And uh, I want to just, this is what they call a narrative sermon. There are so many different ways to preach a sermon and all of them are necessary. Uh, There's an expository sermon where you go verse by verse and I have done that many times, especially when we get to the teaching part. There is a a, what they call the ladder method and that's where you just keep building you just you know you lay you, you lay one rung and then you climb on that and then you lay the next rung and you just keep building building uh, there's horizontal or linear sermons where you you take it a linear direction uh, but today I want to preach even though we'll go a bit verse by verse I really want to preach a narrative and those are my very favorite sermons because those are the stories that are, in, that are found in the Bible, these historical stories that are found. It's when you preach about David and Goliath, that's a narrative sermon. You, you, you let that story come alive. And I've had this story in my notes. Um, I am, uh, you can ask my wife or Sister Sharon, our, our financial secretary at the church, you can ask them. I am what they call an organized clutterer. I know exactly in what pile my stuff is. Uh, some of you are not, and I, I bless you for that. But I'm an organized clutter. I know what pile it is. And, uh, when God impresses upon me, whether I'm reading the Word, or whether I'm listening to the Word, or whether it's just in, in day-to-day activities, I write notes everywhere. I've got, I, I usually try to carry, especially if I've got a shirt with pocket, I carry a little 3 by 5 note card holder. And man, through conference, you ought to see the stack of cards that I've written on. Uh, just things that, 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 you know, came to my mind. I've got post-it notes stacked up. I've got it digitally. I've got notebooks that I've filled up. It's just I have to kind of find it. Well, over the course of the last month or so, this story keeps coming to the forefront of my mind. And so I want to uh, take it to you. And by the very, by the help of the Lord, I want to show you really what has already happened in a sense here today. But I want to take you a little bit further. The Bible says in in Acts chapter 27 and verse 1, and and again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It's been uh, the version of the Bible that I am reading through this year. And so since I'm reading through it, all of my notes are in that. And so that's what I am using at the moment. I don't mind. In in fact, they may probably will have it in the King James behind me, and you're probably reading the King James or something similar. And uh, that's okay. But when it was, this this is the Bible now. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy. They delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of that town, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put at sea accompanied by that man. I'm not even trying to pronounce him, so you can see that there. The first thing I want you to understand is that Paul was not on this journey by himself. The writer of the book of Acts was Luke, the physician, the same one that wrote the gospel of Luke. And here you find in the very first, it says that we should sail for Italy. There's other places in God's word that indicates that Luke accompanied Paul on some of these journeys. Paul had met with, in, in, the, in the, uh, the chapter preceding, Paul had met with Felix, the governor. He had met with King Agrippa. And there he had, he had reasoned with them. They were trying, there were those that wanted to imprison Paul, those that even wanted Paul to be put to death. Uh, and, and in the, the chapter preceding, you get that incredible yet sad uh, epitaph that, that, that Felix said, where Felix, after hearing the gospel preached, Felix said, almost thou hast persuaded me to be a Christian. 
And, and I don't know what happened to Felix after that. There's some tradition and maybe even some legend surrounding that, but almost thou hast persuaded me. But when they got done, Felix and Agrippa, when they, those got done uh, hearing all of the charges brought to Paul. See, Paul was more than just a Jew. Paul was uh, a Roman citizen. And because of that, he had privileges that were offered the citizens of Rome that no one else in that time could, could hold on. One of them was that you can't do anything to me in the legal system uh, especially when it comes to like you know being put to death, you cannot do that if I desire for Caesar to hear my case. It's the equivalent of of the Supreme Court here in in America. And Paul had said, "I want you to take this all the way to court." What's interesting is that at the end of chapter twenty six, Agrippa said to Festus, "You know this man would have been set free today if he had not appealed unto Caesar." But see, Paul was on a different journey. Paul didn't really care about his life. Paul didn't care about the prison. In fact, every prison he was in, revival broke out. Every uh, uh, place that he went, every official that he came in contact with, he kept preaching the gospel. And so there was something uh, different that was going to happen. But here, Paul and Luke and that other guy that I can't pronounce his name, and uh, we'll call him Archie. That's the closest thing in, in, in the English that I can call him. We'll call him Archie. He's probably not very happy about that. But he was a Macedonian from Thessalonica. And they gathered and they went on this sea. I want you to follow along with me. Julius and Tre or the next day we put in at Sidon. They had, they had left there and they put in at Sidon. And uh, Julius entreated Paul kindly, gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And so there was uh, a little bit of freedom given to Paul. Paul found some friends there on that island and uh, perhaps got a hot meal and maybe some extra clothes and whatever else he could get. And then from there, they came back to that ship with the other prisoners and they put out to sea from they, where they sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. That's key right there. Remember that most of the ships in this era were wind-powered. They were sailing ships. They would have had oars. Some of them could have been sailed with a galley of slaves. But, but for the most part, if you wanted to get anywhere long distance, you would have needed the wind. And if the wind was against you, it made it very hard to get where you wanted to go. And so they began to sail out of Cyprus, and the winds were against them. They sailed as best they could. They had to take alternate routes. They had to go the long way, if you will. And the Bible says in verse 5, And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Sicily and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in, in, in Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. The centurion made a decision. He said, you know, this little ship that we're on, it's just not doing the job. Let's find a larger ship. In some of the commentaries, it, say, it said that this ship that they got on, the ship of Alexandria, had a bunch of grain in it. Think of the, the big uh, cargo ships of today. This was one of their larger ships, and they put all of those prisoners on that ship, along with Paul and Luke and Archie, and they got on that ship, and they began to sail. From there, they went a little bit further. They sailed, the Bible says, slowly for a number of days. With great difficulty, they arrived at another port, and the wind did not allow us to go any further. Finally, they limped in to this little place that they call Fair Havens, which was the city of Lycia. 
a lot of time has passed. A lot of effort has gone. And how many of you, let, let's see how many of you are older. You know, those of you that are not, not, not the teenagers or the young adults, y'all weren't blessed with this. But any of you play the old Oregon Trail, you know, on your computer? I remember being a kid in school and it was that old Apple IIe, the green screen with the blinking cursor, and we could play Oregon Trail. And in that, there was something, because see, you had so much money that you could spend on your supplies, you could determine the route you wanted to take. Some routes were shorter, but they had more, uh, more, more problems. Other routes were longer, but they were easier. And one thing, it was kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure novel, if you've ever read any of those. But if you left too late... You might hit snow later, or you might run out. Well, this is where this, this ship found itself. Because the time had passed, it take, they, they hadn't gone very far, but it had taken them weeks. The voyage was now dangerous because the Bible says the fast, or the day of Pentecost, was already over. And so Paul advised them. Look at verse 10. This is very key. Look at verse 10. Paul speaks up, and he had a good rapport with, with uh, Julius the centurion and he said sirs I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss not only of the cargo and the ship but also of our lives now I know it says I perceive but you have to realize this is a little bit deeper than just I think or I imagine First off, if you read Paul's biography, remember the times where he says three times I was shipwrecked, I was boiled in oil, I was whipped, you know. Well, Paul kind of had this, um, he, he, he had been shipwrecked a few times or two. He understood the wind and the waves. He knew what was happening. And so Paul told them, he said, I'm telling you, we're leaving too late. It was even a prophetic word from God, and that's what I want you to catch on. This was not just Paul telling the centurion, we shouldn't leave right now. This was a word from the Lord. Because later on in this story, you hear another word from the Lord concerning the problem they got themselves into. But the Bible says in verse 11 that the centurion paid much more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul had said, and so because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on a chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, and that way they could spend the winter there. Can I just ask you a simple question without you necessarily raising your hand? Have you ever heard the word of God and did the exact opposite? It reminds me of another guy on a ship that heard the word of God and did the exact opposite. How many of you have heard the story of Jonah? Yeah. In our lives, we get these moments, and, and if you say, well, I don't know that I've really been that rebellious to the word of God, just the fact that you're human and a sinner tells you that you've gone against the word of God in your life. The word of God comes and it gives. If you remember the series that we, get, that we did, uh, I think it was last year, on life, we talked about trials and temptations and tests. And, and we realized that we can get ourselves in a lot of problem when we don't listen to the Word of God. God has this uncanny ability if we will hearken to the Word of God to keep us out of a lot of problems. They didn't listen to Paul. And so because of that, they said, let's take a chance. The Bible goes on to record, and, and again, I, 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 purpose, uh, uh, I like the, the wording of the English Standard Version. It says, and when the south wind blew gently, 
they supposed that they had obtained their purpose, so they picked up the anchor and they sailed along Crete close to the shore. It is amazing in my life how many times I get off the wrong, you know, you know start the journey on the wrong foot, and the devil and the, and the life and the flesh know just how to let that wind blow softly so I feel like I'm okay. You ever been there? You say, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not listen to any of the, of the, 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 the knowledge. I'm not going to listen to any of the, the, the expertise of anyone in my life. I'm going to do my own thing and everything seems good for the moment. They get in that ship and that wind begins to blow and this is not recorded in the Bible but in Brandon's imagination I can see Julius and I can see the pilot of that ship. They go to, the, to, to Paul and they smile a little smugly and they say, see, we told you everything was going to be alright. Just leave it to the professionals. Just leave it to the ones that have sailed the ship realizing that, or not realizing that Paul isn't really worried about who's sailing the ship but who controls the wind and the waves. So they get on there. But very soon the Bible says a temptuous wind. Now the English Standard Version uh, gets away from the King James language and says it's a nor'easterner. I don't know if any of you are from the, the Upper East Coast, but that's what they get sometimes on the West Coast. The Bible in the King James, and I'm going to try to pronounce it, calls it a Eurocladon, or if you translate it, a typhoon. As far as I can understand, a typhoon is what we call a hurricane. It's just in another part of the world. A hurricane blew up, and it began to come. The Bible says that ship was caught. And now it's, it, it, you, you talk about a ship that couldn't push against the wind when it was just a hard wind. Now they are caught in the throes of a hurricane and they couldn't face the wind. And so they had to give up to the wind. And the wind began to push them wherever the wind would take it. And they were pushed toward or, or under the lee of a small island called Caudia. And they managed to secure the ship's boat. Those ships, they didn't have the great ports that we had. Many times these big ships would have to anchor a little bit distance away from the shore and then they would get into a smaller boat and they would go to shore and so they would be sailing along and behind them they would be towing a smaller boat. They were about to lose that boat and so they had to, with much difficulty, bring that boat in and haul it up and tie it down. Not only that, the Bible teaches us that after that they used supports to undergird the ship. Sailing in this time was hard work. The undergirding, you know how a ship is built, it's wooden and, and, and the ship was being tossed to and fro and, and it was being literally ripped apart and water was getting in and so they would, they would put uh, rope all the way under the ship, many, many uh, feet of rope and they would go under the ship. Sometimes they would use chains and then they would wrap that rope around the hull of the ship and come to the top and they would tie it off and literally what they were doing was they were trying to hold the ship together does everybody have a visual picture of what I'm talking about this is not somebody's little you know dinghy or somebody's little john boat this is a sailing ship made for the oceans that they are having to hold together if I could 
get a bit prophetic in your life, I would tell you that there are times that you go a contrary to the word of God or you begin to find your own path and you're not really following where God wants you to go and you find yourself in the middle of a storm and have you ever had to say this, I'm doing everything I can just to keep my life together. I'm doing everything I can just to hold it in. I've got everything tied up. I don't know what to do. Everything this group did wasn't working. They had tried it. They had done it. They were in the midst of a storm. Now, this was not Paul, Luke, and Archie's storm. They were living for God. They told them, don't go this, but they're in the storm too. Sometimes the storms are because of our sin. Other times the storm is because of life and what it gives us. And they were going. They didn't know what to do. They feared that they were going to run aground. And so they lowered the ship. I'm sorry, they lowered the anchors. They lowered the sails. They did everything they could do to slow that ship down. The Bible says later on that they were so storm-tossed that they began to throw the cargo overboard, anything to lighten the ship. By this time, there was water in the hole. By this time, uh, there was water logging those, those wooden beams. And so they did everything they could when that didn't work, they begin to cut off the ropes and the tackle and the pulleys. Anything that wasn't completely necessary, they threw it overboard. Sun didn't shine. The stars didn't appear. There was no hope. They were thinking that they were going to be lost there. They began to fast. The Bible says when they didn't have any food, it wasn't they had run out of food. They were fasting. Most of them were probably seasick. Uh, and if they weren't seasick, they were working so hard they couldn't stop long enough to eat. Finally, Paul stands up in the midst of them and he says, Listen to me. You should have listened to the word of God. You should not have sailed from Crete. You shouldn't have had to incur this injury and loss. But I'm urging you, take heart. Because even though you're in the midst of a storm, you're not going to lose your life. Even though the storm is your own dumb fault, there is a God of grace and a God of mercy. I'm going to give you one more word. You didn't heed the first one, and that's what got you in this business in the first place. But can I tell you, in the midst of your storm, there is a God that knows where you are. There's a God that understands what you're going through, and he's a God that doesn't hold grudges, and he's not up there going, well, you got in there. How about you get yourself out? But instead, there was a God who said, listen to the man of God. Listen to Paul. You're not going to lose lose your life but you will lose the ship in fact Paul goes on to say there was an angel that stood before me uh, last night and he began to tell me he said don't be afraid Paul you're going to still stand before seizure God has a, a purpose for you behold God is granted to all those that have sailed with you so take heart men for I have faith in God that will it, be, it will be exactly as I have told but we will lose the ship we're going to run aground 14 nights pass 14 days of being tossed on that hurricane at the whim of what's going on with no food that they're eating they are scared they are they've been praying to every god they can pray and probably make up gods if they can there's been sacrifice most likely that have been thrown over they've done everything that they could 
And all of a the sudden, they say, let's take a sounding. This would have been a special rope or a chain that had markings on it so they could see how deep it was. They didn't have sonar. They didn't have depth finders. And so they begin to let down this chain or this rope, and it touched the bottom at 15 fathoms or about 6 feet a fathom. They went a little bit further, and they let down that sounding uh, thing and now it was 15 fathoms and they realize it's getting shallower and shallower. They were afraid that they were going to run up on some rocks so they let down four acre anchors from the, storm, from the stern and they just held on. They said, we don't know what else to do. We're going to just hold on. We've tried to tie everything up. We've thrown everything off we don't need and probably stuff we did need. We've done everything we can. And there was a couple sailors that were letting out the, uh, the anchors and they saw that boat sitting there, that little boat. And they said, let's let it lower that. No one would know. We'll just lower that and maybe we can get to shore. We know we're close. And they got in that, that, that ship and they began to lower themselves. And Paul hollered at them and he said to the centurion and the soldiers, he said, if they don't stay on this boat, they won't be saved. I read that the other night. And I just kind of felt like the Lord impressed me. There's a lot of problems that you and I can get ourselves into. There's a lot of situations where our disobedience to the word, or our hard-headedness, or our arrogance gets us in, and then we get into that problem, and we abandon ship, and we go even further away from what God has in store. It didn't make any sense. Why would you want me to stay on this ship when it's breaking apart and we're all about to, you know, the, the ship's going to be lost? Why not get in this smaller ship? Why don't you let me do it? And here's the reason. If you couldn't figure out how to save yourself at the beginning, you're probably not going to be very good at saving yourself in the second, third, and fourth, and fifth trial you get yourselves into. Don't get in there. And so they cut away the ropes of that ship's boat and they let it go. When the day began to dawn, Paul says, now here's what I want you to, I know that we've been sick, I know some of you have been fasting, I know you've been working and, and worried, but why don't you take some time, let's eat. Because on this 14th day, God's going to help us. It's going to give you strength, and I promise you not one hair on your head is going to be lost. And so they took some bread, they gave thanks in the presence of all. He broke it, they began to eat it, they were encouraged. There was 276 persons on the ship, that tells you how big that ship was. And when they had eaten, they lighted the ship, they threw all the wheat, everything else they could, they threw it all out there. And day dawns bright. And there they see an island. They don't recognize the island, but they see a little bay that perhaps they could get into. And they decided they were going to run aground. They were going to just drive that ship as hard as they can into that bay. And so they put up back up the sails and they got that, that and pulled up the, the, the uh, anchors. And they went as fast as they could, hoping they could beach that craft. But they couldn't because there was a, a, a reef that surrounded that and it ran aground on that reef at this point the waves begin to beat that ship it literally began to break apart the soldiers of that day if they were charged with bringing a a, 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 a person to, to justice if they lost that person if that person escaped that soldier would lose their life for losing the, that, that person 
And so the centurions and the other soldiers, they, they got out their swords. They were going to kill all the prisoners, and that way they could kill them and take their identification and just go say, hey, look, we got into a bad spot. We just killed them all. Here they are, and then they wouldn't, they wouldn't lose their life. But Paul says, don't do that. Paul told us we're going to all be safe. And they begin to jump overboard as that ship broke up. And the Bible says that as they jumped overboard, they made it to land. Some swam, but the rest on planks, pieces on the ship, and they were brought safely to land. The storm that nearly killed them became the vehicle that brought them into the grace of God. I don't have anything deep to tell you, but for the past three or four weeks, I've gone back to this verse over and over and over and over. And I just came to the conclusion that there is enough people in the Lighthouse United Pentecostal Church, or at least come and hear what I'm saying, that have found yourself in storms where you have tried to hold it all together and you've tried to do everything you could so that you can make it, but all of your own efforts have failed. You, you've tried to support this. You've tried to hold this together. You've tried to undergird this. You've tried to put this in play. You've tried to do this. And I just get this verse that goes over and over and over in my head. But our righteousness is as filthy rags. The knowledge that we have, the understanding that we have, it leaves our lives in shambles. We're on a storm. Maybe I could impose upon you anybody in a storm. Anybody feel like the devil's got you rocking? Anybody feel like life has you reeling with a hurricane, not of Maria or, 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 not, or not of anything like that, but a hurricane of spiritual proportions has grabbed you and you're, you're, you're floating just kind of any way that that hurricane and that storm wants to take you. There seems to be no direction in your life. There seems to be no purpose in your life. You've thrown things away that you needed later. You've given up things that, 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 that you've said, maybe I don't need You've thrown everything overboard and you're wondering what does God have in store for me? Brother Perryman said it so incredible that we come to church, we lift our hands and we lift our worship, but invariably our worship gets back to me. That's because we're in a storm. When you're in a storm and your boat's breaking up, when you're in a storm and you haven't eaten for 14 days, when you're in a storm and all you can do is hang on to the boat and hope you don't, you know, fall overboard, it's hard to think about anything else. All you can think about is making sure that leak is plugged. All you can think about is make sure that's tightened down. All you can think about is holding on to this position and the storm is there. But I just want to tell somebody right now, that sure, you shouldn't have been in the storm in the first place. That, that to be honest, the storm was a storm you could have avoided. It, it was a storm that you didn't have to get yourself in if you'd have just listened to the Word of God. But God doesn't throw you away. That grace and that mercy and that presence of God is so rich that while you were yet sinners, while you were in, in, at enmity against God, while you had laughed at God and, 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 and cursed God, while you had 
thrown your life in God's face and says, I can do it my way. There's still one that's following you. I promise you, I've preached about it and I believe it with all the time. The Bible says that God prepared, God prepared a whale for Jonah. I'm convinced that long before Jonah got on that boat, God got a hold of a whale and said, Whale, I don't know why I'm picking you, but just whale. There's a certain boat that's about to leave. And I want you to get real close to that boat because when a guy falls overboard, he's only got a couple minutes to live in that raging sea. He's not going to have a long time to tread water and wait for a whale just to kind of get over there. I need you right there. Because even though it makes sense, that ought to just let Jonah drown for the idiot that he is. In the midst of the storm, I've got a purpose. Now Jonah was thrown overboard, but he hit that water and that whale was just waiting. Jonah lived in that whale for three days and three nights. It's the same thing with, with this. It's the same thing in your storm. God's still got a purpose for your life. And, and I, I, can't, I went to bed last night. I've gone to bed, I can't tell you how many nights, with, with a visual picture in, in kind of a daydream, if you will, going on in my mind. All I can see is 276 people who are green from seasickness, who probably have bruises on their life from being beat around that ship. And all I could see was that ship breaking apart and 276 people grabbing home to the broken pieces of their life and just floating into shore where Paul was waiting with a fire, where God was waiting with a word. And I see him coming in on the broken pieces of their life. And I hear God say to you, I know your life's in a storm. I know that the it, it, things around you are breaking up, but don't give up. Sometimes all you have is that broken beam that you come floating into the grace of God on. And God says, even though it was your fault that ship broke, if you'll just bring your broken pieces to me, I'll be right there and I'll be waiting you could go to the next chapter and that's where where Paul he builds the fire he's waiting for him a snake comes out bites Paul and Paul don't even scream he just shakes it off in the fire they think he's going to die because it's an incredibly poisonous snake in fact I was reading that in my Bible and you preached a message about that about five years ago I've got your name written down right there brother Perry but if you go on and read all the way to the end of, of the book of Acts which only has 28 chapters you'll find that Paul preached to them for the winter while they were there that many believed because they came in on the broken pieces of their life but they floated into the arms of a gracious God come back tonight if you want to hear a deep sermon come back tonight if you want something to impress you this morning I just got to tell you this the storm that's raging has a purpose behind it and I can't I don't, I don't have time to go into all of it. I'm not going to read your mail. I'm not going to say, well, here's your storm, and this is your storm, and this is your storm. I'm just trusting that you're hearing, you heard the word, and now you're saying, Lord, speak to me. Even if the storm is your fault, the grace of God says, come with the broken pieces, and I will save you.
Would you close your eyes for a moment? Father, I can preach this message because I have been in quite a few storms of my own doing. Lord, I know what it's like for everything around me to be shaken and to start breaking off and falling apart. Lord, I know what it's like to hold on to a broken piece of a dream or a broken piece of a, of a, of a calling or a broken piece of a purpose or a broken piece of a life and wonder, God, how am I ever going to get out of this? And is this all I have to show? But I was there when you extended your hand into my storm. And I was there when your grace that's so sufficient picked me up out of my brokenness. And I've seen what you're able to do with broken people. And Lord, this morning as we begin to worship and this morning as that glory begin to fall and this morning as I watch tears begin to run down people's face, all I could see was the broken pieces we're on. God, you're here right now. You're waiting. Just as when Peter got out of the boat in a storm and began to sink, you were waiting. In fact, Lord, I'm going to kind of guess that not only did you just wait, I'm kind of guessing that you walked to where he was because you grabbed him as he fell. Lord, I'm praying right now for every person here that, God, they know what storm they're in and they know what broken pieces are around them. They know what it is that they're trying to hold on, but they can't because our, our own abilities is not enough. Sometimes we have to let go. Let the storm do its work find you in our brokenness and that's what I'm asking right now I want us to stand all across this building some of you have a spiritual redneck bone in your body see rednecks and I can do that because I am one rednecks can fix anything with duct tape and bailing water and we get that same mentality in our life and we just keep patching stuff up and we keep trying to fix everything and we keep trying to put it together but sometimes you just need to let the storm run its course and come to Jesus with the broken pieces and say I've tried everything I could do and it didn't work now Lord here I am and when you do that he's waiting right there right where, where, where you're coming in at you can float in on the, on the beams. You can float in on the two-by-fours. And he'll put your life back together. I want to open this altar. In fact, I think it'd be good for all of us to come. No one has to come by themselves. No one has to come alone. But we come together. And we begin to say, Lord, here I am. I've done everything I could. It didn't work. So now, God, I'm going to listen to you. Would you come in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name.